Welcome to episode 13 of the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the mid-1980s. I think of myself as the go-to for all things Little Rock and Arkansas, but I also like learning about other people and what they have to offer. That's why I started a podcast. My guest for this episode is Dr. Elena Zinkoff, a hormone naturopath in the Pacific Northwest. You'll get to meet her right after this. This message is for our Central Arkansas listeners right now to the Lisa Fisher Said podcast. Real estate, home selling, home buying, any of that kind of make you think, oh, I'm kind of interested. If you are, then you need to consider John Underhill Real Estate and the agent I want you to call is Brandy Harp. Brandy Harp is principal broker at John Underhill Real Estate, and she helps lead a team that has an outstanding reputation in central Arkansas. Whether it's your first time home you plan to buy, you know, these are historically low rates. People are buying so many homes that Brandy told me the inventory is low, but if this is your first time, your foray into real estate and buying or selling, these are the people you call and Brandy Harp is definitely the agent you want to have in your phone. They are a full service real estate company. They're a boutique agency. What they do stands out. Find out more by going to my website. You'll see the banner ad for John Underhill at lisafishersaid.com. I'm on the website right now for Richard Harp. It's Richard Harp Homes. If you've heard any of my podcast, or if this is your first one, welcome. But if you've heard any of them, you've heard me talk about Richard Harp and the outstanding work he does as a home builder and remodeler in central Arkansas. If you go to his website, richardharphomes.com, you can get there through the portal of my website, lisafishersaid.com, and you see the different tabs. You can meet Richard, press and media, portfolio, let's connect and testimonials. Okay. Under the testimonials, this is where people go on and on. Richard listened to our needs, built our house down to the last detail. Someone else said we've hired Richard several times for various remodeling projects, highly knowledgeable and a perfectionist at his work. Remember that a perfectionist in his work, but also what I always say about Richard is the fact that he likes to get you under budget and under time. Not everyone can make that promise. Find out more by going to my website and seeing the ad for Richard Harp Homes at lisafishersaid.com. She won most talkative in high school and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, you people, you might be new to the Lisa Fisher Said podcast, but those of you, if I birthed you or I'm a friend with you, you know I love naturopathic medicine. Dr. Elena Zinkoff is our guest today. You can call her Dr. Elena, Dr. Z. We'll post how you can find her on the gram, as the kids say, the Instagram. But Dr. Z, man, I love naturopathic medicine. Let's just go ahead and define the difference in that and maybe a traditional Western medicine or traditional medical school. Excellent. Lisa, thank you so much for having me today. There are definitely some major differences between traditional allopathic medicine, uh, including schooling, as well as naturopathic medicine. And one of the main differences is the approach to healthcare. Naturopathic medicine really embodies treating the whole person, not just looking at the, at the symptoms individually. 
naturopathic physicians, uh, primarily in the uh, during their school and education, we cover everything from nutrition to endocrinology to gut health, oncology, and how all of those systems work together in order to provide the best possible care for our patients. Typically, an experience with naturopathic physician is very unique because we don't just want to hear about what's been bothering you lately. And we spend sometimes over an hour trying to better understand your your condition and also your uh, social environment, your family, your work environment, so that we can come up with the best possible plan. The Usually in an allopathic model, we just want to understand the symptoms and provide medication in a form of a pill. And then if you have side effects, there's another pill for that. Whereas in, in naturopathic training, we really want to make sure that we're addressing the foundations of health, like nutrition, diet, lifestyle, exercise, before we proceed to even even provide supplemental recommendations, um, not to mention any sort of medications. Do naturopaths then rely on any type of uh, diagnostic testing, or is it more uh, conversation with the patient to see what's ailing you? Absolutely. We always want to use diagnostic testing, and different naturopaths practice differently, just like different traditional medical providers practice differently. And I come from a family of medical providers, so this is always an interesting topic at dinner conversations. But some naturopathic physicians, they use purely uh, subjective and maybe objective information, whatever their patient is telling them, they're just going off of that and their clinical experience to come up with a treatment plan. I'm a huge fan of more evidence-based medicine where I want to use diagnostic tools such as lab testing, and we can dive deeper into the different types of testing that we can do to guide the creation of the most optimal treatment plan. I guess my first interest into or foray into naturopathic medicine was, and this is probably a lot of people, when I couldn't get help from Western medicine, I I had the symptoms, but the lab results, they say, no, your thyroid is fine. And I'd say, something's not right. And it was finally, I will give props to the endocrinologist who at least tested my antibodies. And though my TSH, the thyroid stimulating hormone was it was in the normal range 20 years ago. I don't think it is anymore. Um, my antibodies were greater than 1300 and they'll sometimes during times of stress go over 2000. And so that's finally, I mean, the only thing that finally got somebody's attention, but I, I know there's a gap. So it was a four year trek for me, Dr. Elena, to finally get the answer. And I just wept in that doctor's office when he said, honey, your thyroid's not working. I thought, I said, why has it someone I've been saying these same symptoms for four years. And he said, he admitted it's easier to treat you for depression or chronic fatigue syndrome. And I really didn't have either one. So what what do you think, had I gone the naturopathic route in the beginning, there aren't many in Arkansas. I know of of one really. What do you think would have been done differently? And I would, would I've gotten an answer quicker? Absolutely. And I have to say that the beauty of practicing medicine nowadays is that there are almost no borders. I work with clients all over the United States. I have clients in Canada, I have clients in the UK, all over Europe. And we, I, 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 I like practicing integrated medicine where I am working with other providers. I'm working with a primary care physician. I'm working with an endocrinologist so that we're all on the same page because 
what happens is that what happens to so many people is exactly the story that you just described. You're walking around with different sim- symptoms and unfortunately conventional medicine, they're used to seeing things within certain parameters, right? Which is what lab results show. Right. You're either low or you're high, but conventional medicine misses what happens in between. And they're very much focused on what happens outside of those parameters, which is a good thing sometimes to have. But when someone like you is struggling and can't put two things together of why am I feeling this way, but my labs are quote unquote normal, this is where naturopathic medicine really shines because you would get a much faster answer and a much faster resolution to your issue working with a naturopathic physician, because we're not just looking at the lab values, we're also listening to your story. So for example, when a patient comes to me, and I frequently have a very common, even phone conversation, the first uh, consultation that I have with my patients, they will say things like, I've been to 10 different providers, I've been to endocrinologists, my thyroid numbers look normal. Mm -hmm. And I always say, I want to see what those normal results look like, because more often than not, 90% of the time, they're borderline normal, they're suboptimal, because there is a healthy range for thyroid that actually research proves that when your TSH is is a certain number, when you're free T4, when you're free T3 is a certain number, that's when the body thrives. Oh, right. In fact, when I remember when I went for my follow-up, by then in six weeks for my follow-up, I had gotten my PhD in thyroid. I read every book. (laughs) My husband called them my thyroid murder mysteries because I would turn the page and go, listen to this. And it it explained everything to me. And I remember when I went for my follow-up and I said, now, by the way, I do a vitiligo. And he went, oh, well, that makes sense. You know, and I do have some alopecia, you know, I had some other things. I didn't know they were all related. And he said, he put me on a very low dose of Synthroid joke. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, it was like taking a Tic Tac, you know, taking 75 micrograms of Synthroid. And he said, well, your, your TSH is one. He goes, we feel like that's a good number. And I said, do you have a mouse in your pocket? I said, like, who mm-hmm. thinks it's a good TSH number? Mm-hmm. I go, I looked around the room thinking, is somebody going to pop in from behind the curtain? And he said, Mm -hmm. no, the Endocrinologist Society of the Planet, you know. And I said, well, it's not a good number for me. And I said, may I have more medicine or can you then? That's when I first understood about armor, MP thyroid, the natural preparation. And he said, Mm -hmm. no. mm -mm." And then we broke up. I'm sure he's busted up about it. But that's when I realized, because I said, I can't have a doctor make a decision of how I... (laughs) He, he was putting on me how I should be feeling. And I right. went, well, I, I don't feel that way. And so now I, I have pursued my own. But I'm telling you, being told no when you're at a vulnerable point, it's it's not good for your mental health. I mean, for him to tell me, no, I can't give you more medicine. I'm thinking, but people get opioids all over town and you're not giving me more thyroid medicine. I said, something's wrong here. Right. Absolutely. This is really common in medicine. And I like to talk about the spectrum of medications, right? Thyroid medication is on one spectrum and opioids are on the opposite side of the spectrum, right? Right. Completely different side effects. You can't addict it to thyroid medication. If you forget to skip it one day, it's not the end of the world. Very different for many other medications, including opioids, SSRIs, and other antidepressants, right? Right. So very an opposite spectrum. So for someone, um, 
to put you into this square where your TSH is one, therefore you should be feeling good and I cannot prescribe anymore. They're not listening to you. They're not listening to your story. And actually many functional medical providers, and I work with quite a few medical doctors who, thank goodness, have shifted away at looking at the TSH as the sole I would say, guidance, right, for how we should be prescribing thyroid medication. And there is so much research. I sometimes say that providers are kind of stuck in the 1980s where the TSH is what we follow, right? right. And and there's quite a bit of research, uh, actually very le- legitimate research that shows that we should not be using TSH as the marker for monitoring the efficacy of thyroid medication. Well, it was my... Um doctor that uh, I finally had a progressive doctor who listened to me and gave me the medicine I wanted and changed my life about 17 years ago. He's the one that told me he'd been practicing medicine from like the 60s. So he was there when the TSH was invented by Abbott Laboratories, diagnostic test, thyroid stimulating hormone. And he said it was 1973. And then the range was crazy. It was like zero to 10, you were normal on the TSH, which now they've come down. And he said, and it was about 1980, that uh, the endocrinologist society of the planet, whoever they are, got together and said, well, we've got all these w- mainly women who are having all these symptoms, but that, that TSH test said they were fine because they were anywhere between zero and 10. And he said, they said they drummed up, like twisted their uh, little mustaches here and said, I've got an idea. Let's call this fibromyalgia. Mm-hmm. And and he always said that's about when fibromyalgia became part of the nomenclature was it was this group of people who had been stuck between one extreme and another. And he said, I felt like then if we just gave the, th- the, those patients, fibromyalgia patients, thyroid replacement, they would have felt better. What's your feeling on fibromyalgia? I think fibromyalgia, well, it's very interesting because when you mentioned that folks who were kind of in the um, in a certain TSH group were then termed fibromyalgia, right? And if they were given some thyroid medication, basically saying, if we had fixed their thyroid, those symptoms would have gone away. Right. And it's very common that a lot of even autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, ALS, all a lot of those things are even linked to improper thyroid function. Wow. And, right. And so fibromyalgia, just like, let's take any condition, let's take Lyme disease, for example, which is a mammoth of a condition. Any condition needs to be approached as total body because what these conditions have in common, again, whether it's fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis, Lyme disease, or anything else, what these conditions have in common is a hormonal imbalance. And that is why it's so important that we fix the thyroid, we fix the adrenal glands, we fix the sex hormone imbalance, we fix the nutrient deficiencies that could be the underlying culprits for the condition. So do you think there is um, a possibility for someone who they treat their gut health and we'll talk about gut health, they'll treat hormone imbalances that they could even get off, even with a sick thyroid, that they could even get off their thyroid replacement? That's a tricky question because we're also dealing with genetics here. And some folks, some people, they just genetically have an underlying thyroid dysfunction. That's a different group of people. For example, thyroid 
dysfunction runs in my family. And I should say hypothyroidism runs in my family. Right. But within my family, everybody has different stress levels, right? So my stress levels are, for example, different from my mother or my sister. And therefore, they might not need that same thyroid support as much as I do. So this brings us to a point where I have seen in my private practice, and I have it seen done over and over again, and you've read those success stories, and everybody has read blogs and literature about how people are able to come off of their thyroid medication. But it's not just as simple as fixing the underlying thyroid dysfunction. It really ends up being this holistic approach is we got to get our stress under control. We got to eat clean. We got to drink clean mineral water. And, you know, we really have to fix some of these other underlying issues. You know, the genetic component, even we can talk about epigenetics, right? If you're stressed out, the triggers activate certain genes, which can predispose you to develop Hashimoto's and have your uh, elevated antibodies attacking your, your thyroid gland. So we, we do see this commonly that people are able to come off of their thyroid medication, but it does take this whole lifestyle approach in order for that to happen. And sometimes it doesn't, and that's okay. Being on thyroid medication is honestly not the worst thing in the world. No, because my philosophy with it is it's, it's not a drug because mine's hormone replacement. Absolutely. It's HRT, hormone replacement therapy. So it means a hormone that my body's making, my little glands just shriveled up. It's probably dead, you know, because if you palpate <laughs> it even now, it's just a little, just a nothing of a gland. So I just need to replace it like somebody would as estrogen or any other hormone that needs to be replaced. I may be oversimplifying it, but that's what I tell myself because I, I want to say I'm going to overcome the, you know, pharmaceutical industry. I'm like, nah, not, not so much. <laughs> I do need, yeah. do need some thyroid hormone replacement. Well, Lisa, you bring up such a great point. As we age, we don't produce more hormones. Our metabolism slows down. We need fewer hormones and all hormones kind of decline. Thyroid, again, it's a little bit trickier. It's not as equivalent as estrogen and progesterone and testosterone. Those sex hormones, we can just 100% guarantee that those things will decline as we age just because of the our fertility window is you know slowly getting smaller and we just don't need to reproduce and our body just naturally um, starts to produce less, uh, fewer of those hormones. And, and thyroid, I see very vital 80-year-olds, 90-year-olds who have very healthy thyroid glands. So thyroid is a little bit trickier. However, having said that, I, I do frequently see that women will say things like, you know, 10 years ago, my thyroid was fine. What happened? Well, you had babies, you had a stressful career, you know, you moved 10 times, you got divorced, you got remarried. Who's who's taking on that stress? It's your thyroid gland that's trying to keep your blood sugar stable, that's trying to keep your metabolism nice and active. So those glands, we don't really think of them. When we feel stressed out, we sometimes don't make that connection. Well, what's doing all the work now and keeping me in check and keeping my vitals working properly, right? It's your thyroid, it's your adrenal gland, it's your ovaries, it's your, it's your pituitary in the brain. But what you said was also very important. There's nothing wrong with optimizing our hormones by taking a little bit of bioidentical hormone therapy. And a classic example is, you know, I'm, I'm from the Seattle area. The tech industry is very much alive and thriving here. And I work with a lot of top level women executives who are going through perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause, and they're coming to me 
just begging to feel better because they're not they're um, they want to excel at a certain level, right? Mm-hmm. And they're dealing with these very big changes in their health and their bodies. They're, you know, they're entering a really important time in their life, but they're also trying to excel in their career and be, and be mamas and parents and all of these things. And this is where we have the conversation. You know, it's okay that you're in this age where you're not producing as much hormones. Why don't we support you, right? In a way that your, your body sees biologically as its own through bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Do you notice that, because here we are coming up on cooler months, winter months, um, you have it there in Washington, we're in uh, the middle of the U.S., Arkansas, Um, I sometimes feel like I need more hormone, thyroid hormone in the winter and less in the summer. Am Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy. That's actually very normal. And, and that's usually because, you know, one of the, th- one of the major roles of the thyroid gland is regulating our core body temperature. So even a simple test, even one of the thyroid, I would say function tests is measuring your oral body temperature. So I usually like to use um, an oral um, thermometer, uh, non-mercury based, and you record your temperature three times per day, every three hours, starting three hours after waking. And you take an average over three days. And if your temperature is below 98.6, which it is for many folks, then chances are that you have a thyroid conversion problem. And what that is, is typically your thyroid produces T4, and then it converts to T3. And T3 is the most metabolically active hormone, it is what can raise our body temperature. And so it makes sense that as the temperature drops outside, and if you're struggling to keep your own um, core body temperature high, that you would need probably not even so much T4, but T3 supplementation. So you're a proponent then of uh, T3, lyothyronine or cytomel or whatever, or however you would get it. Cause that's, that was yeah. the game changer for me. But my doctor did tell me everybody's physiology is unique and not every, he said I could never make blanket statements about thyroid hormone right. replacement, but right. can't, can't you agree that just T4 only drugs typically aren't work? Those are the women who say this isn't working. Right. Oh, absolutely. Lisa. And I have to say, just even in our conversation about thyroid, I do have to say you have a PhD in thyroid <laughs> medication. You are so well-versed in well, everything thyroid. You, you know this is why? A great- because I was the sick patient and I couldn't get anyone to listen to me. I, yeah. I, I, I went and I didn't get the answers I wanted. That's before I knew about a naturopath. That's before I knew about functional medicine. You know, I was yeah. the sick patient and I was desperate. And so I, I did have to read the books and I do understand it now because I can visualize great. it. Great. And yeah, I, I do believe that T4 is not enough sometimes. And I'll tell you why, because there's a couple problems that we run into thyroid. One, there's a quantity problem. There, there's a there's a problem in producing T4. And that's where levothyroxine, for example, or Synthroid works re- really well. It's like, oh, the problem is that the thyroid is just not producing enough T4, but there's not necessarily a conversion problem. If we simply give you enough T4 and then watch what happens two things can happen. One, you're an excellent converter of thyroid hormone and your T4 will con- get converted to T3. But what frequently happens, and this is where 
I have to say, even my own naturopathic colleagues sometimes miss this, is the conversion problem where sure enough, we give you enough T4, but did you convert that? And a lot of times people don't convert enough of T4 to T3 and they still are suffering from a lot of the symptoms. And I see this very frequently. I see this very frequently where in the conventional medicine, right, they caught the T4 problem, but because of lack of understanding of what really needs to happen with a conversion to T3, my patients come to me, they're, they're not feeling great. They're losing the hair, they're gaining weight. We add, we add a little bit of T3 into the mix and sure enough, they're feeling better. Well, my doctor, my open-minded doctor, who's now 80, and I still call him for things. He's not practicing, but I still call him and text him if I'm, you know, in kind of between things going, I'm not right. He's the one who told me 17 years ago when my daughters got diagnosed, they're now in their 20s, one's a mother, but he said, these young girls convert. Now, this was his opinion. I've never seen it backed up, but I believe him. He said, these young girls convert T4 to T3 well. So my daughters did start on levothyroxine. He said, but as they age, he said, I'm seeing for some reason, the older they get, the harder time they have it converting on a cellular level, which is to the T3. Do you find that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. And this is this is a similar thing where I'm seeing with my clients where before levothyroxine was doing the job and then all of a sudden stopped working and nobody right. could mm-hmm. figure out why and it's that conversion problem. And absolutely, it just again is as we age, our metabolism naturally slows down. You know, I always say we live in these really urban times and environments, but our body has not cut up. Genetically, we have not cut up, right? So as far as our body is concerned, after a certain age, and usually for, for, for many folks, it's after 30s. For both men and women, things just kind of start slowing down after um, after we hit 30, that we're seeing that conversion problem in the thyroid. And it's almost like a body's way of saying, you don't need to stay skinny. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is what the body has said. I've heard it and I've argued back. <laughs> And I said, look, I'm going to raise you intermittent fasting, which we'll talk about that in just a minute. But tell me the diagnostic test that you use for a thyroid that someone listening who may not be able to go to a naturopath, but can go to a traditional Western physician, their family doctor, what can they ask for? Absolutely. The things that you really want to make sure that you ask your provider to test TSH, total T4, total T3 free T4, free T3, thyroid antibodies, and reverse T3 levels. That is a complete thyroid panel. There's a little bit of debate about the uh, uh, functionality of the reverse T3 testing. And a lot of times I honestly use it not so much for thyroid function, but for other things that are happening in the body for inflammation and actually cancer monitoring. Oh, and then that does bring me to with people who have had thyroid cancer, now their Mm -hmm. levels, they look hyperthyroid or over-replaced, right? Don't they have to have like zero on the TSH scale? Yeah, yeah. They're they're usually 0.001. Now, have you ever, because I've been over-replaced before, and um, one time I... T3 was just nutty because I was, I was eating Cytomel like it was candy. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm tired. I'll just pop another one. Literally um, Tic Tacs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. But it overdid me in such a way that 
It was thyrotoxicosis. I mean, it was crazy. Anyway, all mm-hmm. that to say, so my TSH does look like I'm a little, I'm a little over replaced, but I feel great. My heart rate is normal. I do work at a higher level. I mean, I am right. rather frenetic in my ways anyway. So it's no different than the old Lisa. Does that worry you when someone kind of looks a little over replaced other TSH? No, I don't worry about the TSH that much. It's much more important to me that you feel good on the medication. And I always warn my patients and I always bring a huge amount of education into our appointments, going over the labs, making sure that people understand how their thyroid is functioning and why we don't necessarily rely on the TSH as the benchmark for thyroid medication efficacy, and then also, you know, how they're supposed to be feeling. And so I, the most important thing for me is is the heart rate normal? Are you right. experiencing mm-hmm. any shortness of breath? Are okay. you losing hair? Are you sweating at night? If the answer is like, no, I could use some more thyroid, in fact, right? Then we're in a, we're in a good place. We're in a good zone. I have patients whose TSH is maybe 0.04 and they will not let me touch their thyroid. They're like, this is perfect. I have mm-hmm. never felt better. Please don't change my thyroid medication. Yeah. And I keep them there because... Um, you know, some of my colleagues are terrified when they hear that, but I feel very comfortable. I've, again, I've worked with many medical providers, um, MDs in the field. Uh, I've trained with them. I've interned with them uh, for many years. Uh, I've uh, dosed thyroid medication um, on my own with their guidance, and we do it in a very, very safe way. Do you worry about long-term effects on bone health with women if if they are over-replaced or too much thyroid hormone? Well, hormones are very much about, it's like the story of three bears. You want it to be just right. Mm-hmm. And with anything, we worry about overdosing or underdosing. So you don't you just don't want to keep the person in the state of being on too much thyroid medication over for a long period of time, but they're generally just not, they're not feeling well at that point. And this is where testing becomes important. And and I usually like, once I find a good dose for the patient where the patient feels well and vital, I typically test about every four to six months to make sure that they're staying, that they're staying there. Um, But of course, you know, the way that my patients and I work is I want to make sure that they reach out to me if they feel off or they starting to get any of the hypo or hyper symptoms. Well, let's just go over the basics. Someone listening right now, Dr. Z, she may not know that it's not normal to be constipated cold. So why don't you go over the hypothyroid symptoms right now? Absolutely. So the typical hypothyroid symptoms include hair loss, intolerance to cold, where somebody has to wear socks at bedtime or, you know, a t-shirt or a sweatshirt, or they're the ones who always need to wear a jacket in the room. Constipation is a very common sign. So again, slower metabolism, which can also uh, present itself as weight gain. So those are, and brittle, I would say brittle hair and um, eyelash loss and brittle nails are also some of the major symptoms of hypothyroid. And I know that there's a lot of women who are going, check, 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 check. I have all of those. (laughs) And they'll say, I've told my doctor and he patted me on the knee and said, you need a B vitamin or you know, you need a vacation. I I guess the thing is, I think naturopathic medicines, um, uh, people who practice that type of medicine, you are guilty of listening to the patient (laughs) and spending, like you said, you spend a lot of time with your patients, obviously to find these things out. So, you know, in 15 minutes, the one, the 
where your insurance company wants to maybe reimburse a doctor for, you can't get to the point of, now I really feel bad. Right, right. Well, and that's the problem with um, insurance-based model of care is that we're trying to, we really are not solving any problem in 15 or even 30 minutes that we are with a patient. Now, my patients who are with me for maybe 30 minutes during a visit, we've already done a lot of heavy lifting, right? By the time we get into just the quick phone calls or follow-ups, we're just checking in on progress and we tweak things as we go. But the problem with the insurance-based model is that, you know, the provider is always looking at the time. They're making sure that they check all the boxes for the insurance company and they forget that it's really the person in front of them who they need to be catering to, not, not the insurance company. But I also have to say, Lisa, is that when a patient comes to me, they don't need to have all of those symptoms in order for me to diagnose them with either subclinical hypothyroid, which is, which means that, you know, on paper or on labs, they're not traditionally hypothyroid subclinical means they're having those symptoms, maybe even just two of those symptoms. Maybe they're tired and they're losing hair, or maybe they're cold and they're constipated. They need, they don't need to have, let's say all five of those symptoms in order for me to say, you know what, your labs are suboptimal and you're having those symptoms, we're going to do a little bit of thyroid medication. And I hear some women, I can just already hear women saying, well, you're a naturopathic physician. Shouldn't there be like an herbal alternative instead oh, of right. a thyroid medication? Yeah. And, and there's a time and a place for a medication. And usually frequently people are, they've been through so many years of just not feeling well. Mm -hmm. They're just tired and they want not necessarily a quick fix, but they really want to fix the underlying problem so they can get back to their families, their work, their passions, their communities, and just be healthy and, and vital. But having said that, there are patients who will push back and say, I want an herbal alternative. And what that typically looks like is a combination of different herbals like ashwagandha and kelp or seaweed and iodine and selenium, um, things to help boost thyroid function and also boost thyroid um, uh, conversion of T4 to T3. Sometimes it works, but mostly certainly if there is an underlying thyroid problem, we then have to go transition to medication. Would it be uh, making us over a place if we took some of that in addition to our uh, desiccated thyroid, like an armor NP, would it hurt me if then if I had selenium or iodine or ashwagandha? Sometimes it can be not necessarily um, that you would be over medicating yourself. It would, might you might feel overly stimulated, right? So in addition to the thyroid medication, you just might be like Lisa on steroids, right? <laughs> just right, a, yeah. like just right. a lot of energy, just really out there, and maybe even actually feeling a little bit anxious. The nice thing about thyroid herbal support is it can actually also be a great support for the adrenal glands. So the herbs Ooh, that are typically yeah. used to treat the thyroid are usually very friendly for the adrenal gland. And so sometimes I will have somebody on the thyroid medication, but but I'll keep them on their thyroid herbal support because that also provides a nice cushion for the adrenal gland. Well, let's talk about those sweet little adrenals. How do we know when they're <laughs> they're about to die on us or or that they're stressed? 
oh, there's poor, those poor adrenals. And you know, who we just abuse them. We abuse them just we mm-hmm. abuse, like we abuse our liver over the holidays. Right. And it's uh, our adrenal gland. Let's kind of just talk about, you know, it's located right on top of our kidneys for those folks who um, know where their kidneys are. That's where your adrenal gland looks like a pyramid. It's propped over there. And the key thing with the adrenal gland is that it produces our stress hormone cortisol. And it also produces the main sex hormones. It's one of the locations in the body where we, where we produce estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. So for women, we produce mainly estrogen and progesterone and just a tiny bit amount of testosterone in the ovaries. And then the other site is the adrenal glands where we produce those, those hormones. And frequently, what happens is that most people with an adrenal dysfunction, let's say somebody goes through prolonged stressful experience and who's not going through stress right now, right? So when someone goes through a prolonged stressful experience, they're typically producing a lot of cortisol. So their adrenal gland is trying to keep their blood sugar up. It's trying to keep them um, alive while they're running away from the saber-toothed tiger or their boss or um, whoever's chasing them or whatever's chasing them. And then what happens after a certain point is your adrenal says, no more, I can't do this. We're out of reserves and your cortisol levels tank. So what that typically looks like there's a couple scenarios. People with a cortisol underproduction will typically wake up feeling extremely fatigued and tired. They're just not motivated after 8, 10, 12 hours of sleep to get up and start their day. And that's frequently one of the most common signs of an adrenal dysfunction or low production of cortisol. The other two things that can happen is that you may wake up feeling like you're ready for the day. But soon after, you just start crashing. 10 a.m., noon, that afternoon slump when people are starting to reach for their second or third cup of coffee, that's very, that happens very frequently when you have low cortisol production. And then the third thing that's really common is that second, um, that second wind that people get at 10 o'clock at night where they're tired, 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 boom, their eyes are wide open and they can't fall asleep until midnight or 1 a.m. And that's usually a flipped cortisol curve where you go from producing no cortisol to then 10 o'clock at night being your hour of power. Now, someone listening, if they don't have lab work to back this up, but they wanted to just try it themselves, could they start with an adrenal support or something just to kind of tweak it? Absolutely. The nice thing about herbal medicine is that one, it's available over the counter And two, you can try it. And certainly if it doesn't work in your favor, where if it's too stimulating for you or it has the opposite effects or it makes you irritable or anxious, those people are usually sensitive to herbs or medications in the first place. They're very safe to try and you can always just try them and then let go if you're not not happy with them. But I would recommend two things for someone who's struggling with adrenal dysfunction or after listening to a conversation, they're thinking, they're kind of scratching their heads and thinking, huh, I might need a little bit of adrenal support. And I usually like a daytime formula for adrenal support that can kind of help you regulate your cortisol levels. And this is the area or the field of adaptogenic herbs, right? If you need a little more cortisol, if you need a little less cortisol, these things help your adrenal gland tone tone it up or tone it down. 
So that's kind of like the daytime formula adrenal support. Um, and I have no affiliations with this company, but most people know the brand Gaia. Gaia mm-hmm. has a great HPA access daytime formula, and that's something that you can use during the day to help um, with your adrenal uh, with your adrenal function. That is adrenal support on training wheels. So if somebody tries that and they're like, "Man, it didn't do anything for me." No that there are so many different adrenal supports. And that's why you might need to reach out to a naturopathic physician who can, um, who can provide further guidance, right? So that's as far as adrenal goes, that's kind of like the, the, the basics and you can, you can go um, to higher, higher levels from there. But I also recommend if someone is staying up at night and they can't fall asleep and they just don't know why trying something like cortisol manager, Again, no affiliations whatsoever with these companies. Uh, Cortisol Manager by Integrative Therapeutics is also one of my favorite uh, brands. Uh, Most of my clients are on that uh, at some point in their treatment plan. I usually like to dose it uh, before bed, and that usually helps you to unwind and can help you get restful sleep within 30 minutes of taking the, the product. And I'll put all this in the show notes along with your book. Let's talk about your book just a minute. You have that uh, your book is Crave, correct? And I see it. It's available on uh, what we all love, Amazon. And mm-hmm. it's the Crave Reset, a breakthrough guide for mastering the psychology and physiology of cravings. Why don't you tell me about that? Yes. So the inspiration for the book came from, one, my professional background as a, as a physician, a, a, a lot of women would complain to me about how do I tame sweet, salty, crunchy, fatty cravings, what I do about them. And of course, with my naturopathic hat on and myself, I've had some major sweet tooth um, addictions that I, I overcame in my personal life. I, I put together this guide for, uh, for both men and women. Um, from a naturopathic perspective, which is let's take all of the systems in the body and provide a solution for food cravings because, you know, many people are struggling with um, overcoming sweet cravings, overcoming salty, crunchy tortilla chip cravings. Mm, and sounds it basically delicious. Just, it does, doesn't <laughs> yeah. it? We're getting hungry just talking about this. Right. <laughs> so the book was really um, about, let's take a look at how does genetics play into our taste receptors? Why do we have a preference for certain foods? Why does someone prefer ice cream while someone loves just to have some kale, right? Uh, why do uh, we feel full while other people, they need to, they just need to eat and eat and eat to feel satisfied. And then I go into gut health and how the microbiome actually can affect our preferences. And in a nutshell, the more carbs you eat, the more carbs you will crave the oh, more protein. That's so you eat. true. Yeah, exactly. And so it all of that has effect on our cravings. Our microbiome, if your thyroid is tanked, if your adrenal glands are tanked, you're going to be craving a lot of sweet and a lot of salty. So I really broke it down for people in the book Crave Reset, how different systems in our body can affect your day-to-day food preferences. And I also provided um, a lot of yummy recipes that if you're craving this, have something else instead. Wow. That just sounds delicious. <laughs> All of it, <laughs> the crunchy part. Uh, I am an intermittent faster and I've made no secret about that. So I haven't eaten since yesterday <laughs> and I, I'm going to open my wow. window in a minute. So tell me, um, are you a proponent of intermittent fasting? 
I do love intermittent fasting. I have to say that intermittent fasting is definitely a recommendation of mine for when for many women and men, and especially for, for women who are looking to just jumpstart their metabolism, I use it very frequently in, in my practice, in, in my personal life. And I have to say that I want people to be healthy going in, into intermittent fasting. And what I frequently see is that, in fact, I talk about this in my Q&A on Instagram the other day. Um, because we have a similar similar question. But what I see frequently people do is that they'll eat the standard American diet and then the they'll decide to do a 180 and you know completely overhaul their their lifestyle for the for the better, but they'll jump into from eating very poorly into intermittent fasting and they have a you know they have a shock uh to their system and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. I'm just gonna resort back to my old eating habits. And so my approach to fasting of any kind, including intermittent fasting, also known as time-restricted eating, is that we want to work on improving the quality of our food intake first. We want to work on portion control. We want to work on improving our energy levels, our sleep, our exercise. We want to improve our stress response and our stress levels. And then once we're prepared for success, we dive into the world of fasting and time restricted eating, which is when our body doesn't have that shock to the system that, you know, what are you doing to me? <laughs> what happened? What happened? What happened to the chips? What happened to um, eating whenever we wanted to, right? So it's a much easier transition when you're eating healthy, exercising, sleeping well to then incorporate, uh, which I would say more of an advanced um, nutrition technique of intermittent fasting into your life. So baby steps. Baby steps, yeah. baby yeah. steps. Yeah. And we have to say that for some people, fasting naturally comes easier. And this is, again, this could be how we tap into our fat reserves, how we utilize our fuel. Some people are excellent fat burners. Some people are only good at burning carbs, right? So, and that's why I'm, that's why I'm talking about, let's work on the quality of food first. Let's, let's shift you from eating so many carbs to emphasizing good quality protein and fat and switch out the processed carbs for leafy vegetables, starchier, starchier vegetables. So then you become more of an efficient fat burner and fasting becomes easier for you. Yeah. I think the longer I fast, I'm starting my fourth year, uh, the month this airs. Um, and what I realized so quickly, you know, within a few months you fat adapt and then this appetite correction, it's a phenomenon, appetite correction kicks in where you really can't, or I don't want to overeat. I can't. So I know that I'm limited. You know, I eat about a four hour window. And during that time, I really want nutritious foods because the Cheez-Its aren't going to satisfy me. You know, right. they're good to maybe finish out your meal. If you want something salty and crunchy, you could have a handful of that or a handful of M&Ms or something, but I can't spend my time. My hand's and I'm not saying this self-righteously at all. I'm telling you because I've learned my hand doesn't sit in a bag of chips or anything because it doesn't satisfy, but I'll go eat some apples and I might have some cheese with it and some nut, you know, I might go down the salty route that way. So it, is, it has changed my desires is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. And that comes with time. And I think one of the things that people, um, 
that people struggle with is that they give something, especially in this culture, they'll try something for a week and they'll say, nah, this doesn't work. <laughs> right, right. This doesn't work. <laughs> and, right. And something with like intermittent fasting, you got to give your body a chance to adapt and surround yourself with people who help you succeed or surround you, yourself with resources. Like even in, in Crave Reset, my book, I provide some guidance about, hey, if you do crave those chips, try something else, even a healthier option is like some kale chips, right, that are sprinkled with a little bit of nutritional yeast. That's a better alternative compared to eating processed lace chips or tortilla chips or anything else. There's just a lot of we live in an abundance of nutritious food right now where whether you can get it through Thrive Market online, even Amazon, right, can supply you with bone broth for crying out loud. So it's like we really live in a time where we have the barrier to entry is very low. And just give yourself a longer runway. I would say if someone is listening to this and they're just maybe starting with their intermittent fasting or they're maybe a couple of months into it, give yourself a bigger runway to, you know, give your body a chance to adapt and thrive. Okay. Let's talk about gut health. I mean, it's just something yeah. repeated. I mean, I talked to a psychotherapist yesterday. She even refers to it, you know, because your yeah. mental health is affected by what lives, what's living, what good bacteria is living in your gut to get your, your transmitters working, stuff like that. How do you start somebody, somebody comes to you, has some symptoms or just is coming to you with fatigue and some other things with gut health. What's the first thing you recommend Dr. Z? So we want to make sure that they're not eating the things that are inflammatory and that could be causing the dysbiosis in their gut, the dysbiosis, meaning the microbiome, the bacteria imbalance in their gut. And so the first thing we want to do is put them through an elimination diet. And that typically includes no gluten, no dairy, soy, corn, Uh, we're cutting back on their caffeine intake, no processed sugars, um, and then limiting uh, cacao or chocolate intake, as well as uh, what's the other one that I'm, I'm trying to think of? Soy um, nut, citrus. dairy, oh, citrus. Citrus Wait, can what? actually be, yeah, citrus can actually be pretty inflammatory. Wow. Um, it, yeah, yeah. So, oh, and I should, I mean, how can I forget the nightshade family of plants? So tomatoes, um, bell peppers, eggplants, Now let white me tell potato. you, that, that's, that, that's mean when you start taking away <laughs> tomatoes, cause that's salsa. Salsa is good for the earth. I mean, let me, let me tell you something. I have lots of patients from Texas. Whenever I tell them to cut back on the salsa, right. I, I hear the click on the other line. <laughs> they were, they were fighting words, sister. Cause you already took away cheese dip with the dairy just then. Oh but my how, goodness. When did yeah. to, the sweet tomato end up being an enemy? Well, you know what happened and everything in moderation, right? Now, when somebody comes in to me with, with a major problem, we kind of have to be a little bit more strict and I have to look at how, you know, what's the intake. Now, if somebody's having tomatoes in their egg scramble, they're pouring salsa over their, you know, whatever food or over lunch and they're basking their ribs in barbecue sauce, right? That's a heavy tomato. In, intake. That sounds in delicious. <laughs> right. That sounds amazing. Yeah. It does, but that can be really inflammatory when you're consuming it, let's say with every meal. For someone who maybe has just tomatoes in their salad once a day, I wouldn't say that that's the source of their problems in okay. life, right? Okay. Or the source of their of their health. Um, but we have to take a, take a look at that. If somebody's really struggling, we really have to do be diligent and take those inflammatory foods out for an extended period of time to help reset our uh, immune system. And so that's the first step is, is walking through the elimination diet. And for those, again, I, I didn't quite answer your question. 
when did the tomatoes become bad? And they, um, they, they, they never necessarily became bad. Again, everything in moderation and everything in quantity. The problem with nightshade family of vegetables or plants is that they do produce a toxin from just a protection. It's a protection mechanism. Plants want to survive. Hmm. And when plants want to survive, they produce um, certain chemicals. And the nightshade family of plants are just known to produce this chemical that they're high in. And that's why when we eat a lot of nightshade family, let's say somebody's, you know, baking eggplant and they're yeah. making eggplant parmesan with tomatoes, I right? That, that's, yeah. just a, that's just a firebomb for the body. So el- elimination is step one. Um, step two is I do like to use diagnostic tools like breath testing and stool testing and stool testing. You will never know more <laughs> about what's happening in your bowels and your digestive tract than through stool testing. Right. Because but I don't want to know bad enough to put poop in a jar and send it to you. I mean that, you know, that's a pretty <laughs> tough step to take. It's a tough step for many, but that's one of the ways that we can really find out whether we're having yeast overgrowth, bacteria overgrowth, if there's a parasite, and most yeah. importantly, if we're having leaky gut, which is when uh, there's a protein called zonulin protein that can leak into the gut and, and can cause a lot of bloating and fatigue. And actually, we talked about fibromyalgia. There's a, a big link between fibromyalgia and, and leaky gut. And even thyroid issues, um, thyroid autoimmunity, any really autoimmune uh, conditions are can be linked back to leaky gut. Having said that, I do have patients who refuse to complete the test. Again, I work with patients <laughs> right. internationally who may not have access to the test. And what we actually do is besides the elimination diet, most people are walking around with some sort of dysbiosis or bacterial imbalance, and we take them through a 30, 60 day cleanse to help reset their gut microbiome. So that's usually include that usually includes antimicrobial herbs, that includes a binding agent because as the bacteria die, we want to bind them and get them out and usually includes a replenishing agent like a probiotic. And do you continue a probiotic after the gut health is you yeah. know up, up to speed? Yeah, we typically do. Yeah. And then what about prebiotics? You know, that's very interesting. Some folks do well with and without the prebiotics. I'm a huge proponent of getting prebiotics, um, which is fuel. This is fuel for the gut bacteria. This is what keeps the nice, healthy colonies um, thriving. I'm a huge proponent of getting prebiotics through food. That could actually be um, green banana. And people are like, why would I eat a green banana? Really? Yeah, yeah. So green bananas, and you actually um, can just freeze them, cut them, freeze them, and um, blend them in a smoothie, and then you don't really taste them, and they provide a nice uh, texture. Artichoke hearts are a great source of prebiotics. Really, if you're eating a diet high in fiber, both soluble and insoluble, like leafy greens, um, oats, then you're getting a lot of the a lot of the fiber. And I see this in people's tests. Those patients who are eating lots of fiber. Um, they're getting a lot of fiber in their diet. Usually their short chain fatty acid content, which is a form of prebiotics is usually looking really good. And then for natural hormone replacement, bioidentical hormones for anyone who a woman is going through menopause has been through a man going through andropause, I guess is what, you know, Mm -hmm. low testosterone, um, are, do you run to the pharmacy for those things or do you try to do fruits, vegetables and other things for, to replace that? Well, what happens is that, you know, here's a situation. 
those, um, let's talk about the difference in age, right? So for folks who are, let's say, between 30 and 40 or 45, there's still, we can still try to do herbals. We can still try to do ashwagandha or maca uh, to improve testosterone levels in both men and women. We can still do um, phytoestrogens um, like organic soy or um, black cohosh uh, for women, um, flax meal as a way to improve even estrogen balance. We can do Vitex for progesterone in women who are still cycling. Um, and then for men, we can do kind of like estrogen, natural estrogen blockers, like saw palmetto, nettle, and dim. And same thing for women. But then once we, um, and, one, and then we have to see, right? Are they responding? Are their numbers increasing? Once we get 45 and older and 50 and older, then the chances of any of the natural preparations working goes down. And um, phytoestrogens like black cohosh and um, soy and flax meal and all those other nice phytoestrogens can work in women's favor, favor, but they can also work against and can cause women to feel a little bit more estrogen dominant. Um, what I'm, I'm a huge proponent of bioidentical hormone therapy. Of course, I want to try the natural treatments first and see how the body responds. But the older we get, the, the need for actual hormone replacement becomes more important. And is it something we'll do until we're pushing daisies? You know, if you better want to be honest here. Yeah. You know, the conversation that I typically have with my clients is what's the quality of life that you want to have? I want it the best. Yeah. On- Don't we all want the best quality of life? Then then I'm going to keep slapping that stuff on my thighs or taking that progesterone yeah. at night. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you'd be surprised. Some people, they just end up being content. Like they're just... They're okay with where they're at, and they just don't want to take any sort of medication because of the stigma for having to take a pill, right? And that's why I like how we um, we talked about kind of like the spectrum, right, of yeah, different medications sure. that bioidenticals is not the same as popping SSRI pills. They're right. very different. And so um, some people are okay with how they're feeling. There are a certain point in their life, they're okay that things are slowing down. But hey, if you want to um, continue to live you know, get the most out of your life. If you're still trying to reach your potential and you want to be show up as your best self, then you, you, it is something that you would have to take on ongoing. Um, we do take little hormone holidays. Sometimes my patients will take one day a week, um, uh, sometimes a couple days a month, or sometimes they'll uh, take even a couple month break from hormones, for the, particularly for those who've been on hormones for five, 10 years. I have patients who've been on hormone replacement for 20 years and they've gone through, um, you know, just the things, the changes that have gone to medicine, my patients have seen it all who've been on hormone replacement for 20 years. Um, they'll take a little longer hormone holiday just to kind of help things reset, liver detox. Okay. All, all I, those good I, I things. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I can yeah. see that. Dr. Z, you're just full of so much information. I love your enthusiasm. I love your approach. We've got all the information in the show notes. We'll put her uh, website link and uh, you keep taking care of those people in the Pacific Northwest. And the good thing is you can treat people all over the planet now because of uh, exactly the World Wide Web. So thank you. And uh, they need to follow you on Instagram. You're delightful. Thank you so much for doing this today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? And to reach out, email me, lisa at lisafishersaid.com.